When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. On today's podcast, playwright Melanie Tate joins me to discuss her new play, A Broadcast Coup. My name is Justin Hamilton and I'll never deliver my lines with my back to the audience here at Big Squid. Thank you for joining me today. I have to say I really appreciated all the lovely messages that you sent me via the socials and Patreon and however you contacted me. Uh, it's really invigorating to hear how excited you are to have the podcast back. Like you, I didn't expect the break between seasons to be this long, but you may have heard me talk about this in an earlier podcast, but this year just hasn't gone quite to plan. Nothing bad. But things have just been moving, Uh, things haven't really fallen into place like you would hope. Uh, Even today's podcast, I have to say, you're going to really enjoy hearing me chat with Melanie Tate. She's really interesting, Uh, she's really entertaining, and uh, to be honest, I'm really keen to have her back. We got on like a house on fire. But uh, the reason I'm bringing this up is, and you won't hear it in the record, but this was a disaster of a recording day, and Melanie was a professional. We had all sorts of technical issues, uh, (laughs) including uh, my neighbour, not my direct neighbour, but one neighbour down had a water pipe explode in their apartment, and that meant all the water gushed out of their place and down the passage, down the front of my place, a little bit inside of my apartment. Uh, They had these uh, big industrial fans that were trying to dry out the underlay and they were on for, I'm guessing it was just over 72 hours, maybe even longer. And it was loud. It was setting off the fire alarms. Then someone writes towards the end of our chat with Melanie was, I think we only had maybe about 10 or 15 minutes to go, someone just turned off the power and I lost it. 
So then I had to find out what was going on, etc., etc., etc. So it was a disaster of a record, and there was not one moment where Melanie lost her focus or her enthusiasm. So I'm extremely grateful for her persistence, and I think you'll get a real kick out of uh, hearing her chat about stuff. And if you hear beeps in the background, uh, look, that's just me ignoring fire alarms going off that I had a fairly good sense that I wasn't going to burn to death. And also, I was so annoyed by everything that had been going on for the last few days. There was a part of me that just would have welcomed sweet death at this point. But anyway, that's kind of what the year has been like. But we are up and running now. So it's great to just finally begin there. I saw Melanie's latest play, A Broadcast Coup, last Thursday, and I thought it was great. You'll hear more about the play in the chat. But just to set the table so you have an idea of what we're talking about, the story revolves around an Australian radio broadcaster called Mike King. He's returning to work after being in Fiji at a conflict resolution retreat. And if you reckon that sounds a bit dodgy, you are correct, because... Mike has returned, and very early in the play, you have a feeling that he's only learned the lessons he needed to, and not much more. So he's probably learned the language of the things that he has to say, and he's learned the broad ideas of how he should act, but he hasn't really taken anything on. And he is back at work, feeling comfortable as the big man on campus, and he is just very confident because he's one of the beloved stars of morning radio. But what Mike doesn't realise is that an old work colleague with a number one podcast is coming for him. And luckily for Mike, he doesn't really have to worry because it's not like he's done anything wrong in regards to the law, but he may have used his power to his advantage. And also, not only has he used his power... But his team has supported him in numerous ways. So if you've ever spent any time in radio or even just followed the news of what broadcasters can be like or what it can be like behind the scenes of any entertainment industry, you'll find this play to be funny and cutting in equal measures. I thought it was great. I thought the cast was top-notch. I want to give a special mention to an old Adelaide connection in Amber McMahon. I had not seen her perform for a while. I got a real kick out of seeing her in action again. So if you're in Sydney and would like to check out a broadcast coup, head to the Ensemble Theatre website at uh, ensemble.com.au and you can find more details there. Okay, uh, before we bring in Melanie, a quick reminder that my Adelaide Fringe season kicks off soon, like really soon. And as listeners of this podcast, you can purchase tickets with a big squid discount. Yes, my show Little Victories is coming to Adelaide. And if you use the promo code podcast, you can save yourself some money on your ticket purchase. That is my reward to you for being a loyal listener to everything that we do here. And Patreon subscribers, remember to use your extra discount code, which you can find at the Patreon site. Now, for the rest of you, uh, if you would like to purchase tickets, head to the gigs page at my site, bigsquidpod.com, or if you can remember this, justinhamilton.com.au forward slash gigs, and uh, remember to use that discount code. All right, 
I'll be back afterwards to let you know what to expect for the rest of this week and, uh, yeah, and a few more things as well. But uh, in the meantime, let's bring in the fantastic Melanie Tate. So I was talking to you a little bit earlier before we started recording saying that uh, I didn't have much sleep last night. And one of the reasons I didn't get much sleep last night was uh, I'm one of these people that when I'm writing, I end up listening to songs or I go looking for songs that kind of help me with a sort of mood or help me with how I want a, a story to kind of feel. And I was wondering, uh, are you like that? Do you do you go looking for music or soundtracks or do you prefer to not have anything in your head when you're writing? Oh, so I can't write with music on at all. No. Can you write with music on? No, no, I, yeah, can't. I can't. Like Because I have to listen to it. You know what I mean? Like, yes. I can't sort of. But I, um, I use it a lot for the process of, like, imagining things, I guess. But I, I listen to a lot of classical music when I'm trying oh, to. Yeah. I find it really um, puts my mind into, like, a chilled-out zone. But I've written a couple of things recently and I'm working on a couple of things at the moment that are sort of, um, you know, one set in 1983. And so I've been going back and listening to, like, the best of 1993, you know, I mean, 83, you know, yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. But I always have a playlist, yeah, for every single show to sort of get me in the mood. Great. If that makes sense. You yeah, know? absolutely. What are, you, what are you listening to in 83? What, well, really luckily the play that I'm working on is like this, it's it's sort of about a really um, like a crappy part of some, like a crappy moment in someone's life but like this big sort of public moment and the really great thing is the number one song of 1983 was I'm Still Standing by Elton John. <laughs> great. So it's like actually like a really great theme for the, yeah. for the show. So I've been listening to that a lot. And um, what else is it? Like I, I feel like I've got a playlist. I've got a Spotify playlist with the, with the songs for that show. But and a lot of it's a cricket show. So I listen to the theme for the Wild West Sports <laughs> a lot as well, which is one of the great. Don't you reckon that's like one of the great bits of music? Oh yeah, absolutely! It's like so exciting. As soon so, as you mentioned it, it clicked right into my head, and I reckon I have not heard it, it like since I last watched cricket, which was probably about fifteen years ago. Oh my god, Justin, do yourself a favor when we stop chatting and go to YouTube and get it and just put it up. Yeah, right now. it's fantastic. <laughs> but yeah, I do. I listen to a lot of music. I, I yeah, it constantly when I'm when I'm sort of in that imagination process. Yeah. But then when it's business time, I don't listen to much at all, actually. I yeah. just tend to, you know, listen to podcasts and stuff. I don't know what that's about, but yeah, I don't yeah, I, I just can't seem to do all you know, both things at once. I people that can write with music, like yeah. good luck to them, but I can't do it. I definitely can't do it if it has lyrics because I like lyrics. I like listening to the yes. way people put words together. Yeah. Uh, I was lucky enough to see the Arctic Monkeys uh, recently oh, yeah. in concert and Alex Turner's uh, Turner Phrase is yeah. part of a, the, the big appeal of that band for me. And so uh, writing and then hearing that it will take me out of it. Uh, I'm not too bad with soundtrack music though, but uh, it, uh, it can't be... It can't be soundtrack music from a movie that I love because then I'll start writing a version of the movie that yeah. I love because yeah. it's too powerful. Yeah, but soundtrack music is like really our our like 
modern classic music, classical yes. music, isn't it? It makes it makes sense. You know, like just as a little aside, because I think that you'll appreciate this. Um, my sister and I were recently in Glasgow for like two nights. We were held there because it was raining and we couldn't get back to London. And um, <laughs> sorry, I, I love that you were held there. <laughs> yeah, we were held in Glasgow. Yeah, but the great thing about us being held in Glasgow is that the Glasgow Royal Concert Hall or whatever it's called. There was um, a concert of John Williams and Hans Zimmer oh, um, music, and wow. it was so amazing. And they even had um, when Star Wars came on, they had all these nerds dressed as you know, like how <laughs> how nerds have their outfits, and they yeah. came into the audience with their lightsabers, and it was amazing. It was just like the absolute best. And then out in the out afterwards, they were like shaking hands, taking photos. But it was all that beautiful movie music. Like there's right. so much, both of those guys have had like such a rich variety of movies you know it was yes. like everything from home alone to star wars to yeah you know it was just so wonderful like movie music is where it's at really isn't it yeah i think so as well i feel like uh, john williams is definitely kind oh. of almost the the classicist and then there's there's something about hans zimmer that's a bit rock star as well yeah yeah he's kind of like the cool guy it's like yeah. john, john williams is like the the you know it, it seemed to me was kind of kind of like the populist one that everybody loved, yeah. rightly, and then yeah. Hans Zimmer was like the artist with an E. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, that, even though both are, aren't they? Like, let's be real, they're both amazing. Oh, yeah. Uh, they're, yeah. they're both iconic. And uh, uh, Hans Zimmer's uh, Interstellar soundtrack is a particular oh. favourite of mine. Yeah, I think they, I'm pretty sure they played that. The one yeah. that we were really surprised that really sort of got our hearts, which we were, I don't know why we'd be surprised. We both love rom-coms is Hans Zimmer's um, music for The Holiday. Oh, it's actually, really? Yeah, like it's it's actually something that I didn't realise it was from The Holiday, but it's really part of our like everyday life now. Um, people use it a lot for TikToks and they use it, but it's used, it must be used in ads and stuff like that, but it was right. just so joyous because it was around Christmas, you know, like to hear it. It was just so, so lovely. And it's always fascinating uh, how someone in a particular art form can change their yeah. uh, their style and their mood and they can uh, somehow be 100% them but at the same time they're they're able to kind of like water fill a different shape jar oh amazing and composers i often think if i had my life over again and i knew that it was a job when i was smaller and it was something you try i would have trained to be a film composer I would have loved to have done that oh really like, yeah. yeah and every time like I, I don't ever think about it too much because it, it doesn't make me sad but it makes me kind of wish that I not wish that I had taken a different but had I have I would have loved to have got okay I remember when I was in about year 11 at school I saw that the conservatorium of music in New South Wales had a composition course right and I wanted to do that but I had no idea like how to go about doing it. if that makes right, you know, yeah. like, no I just played the piano and sang and stuff and but now I can see how you would translate that into you know when you're a bit older and you sort of work hey, have you got anything that like if you could have your life back if you had your life back again and it was like no Justin you can't be a comedian but you can be whatever you want what would you be well for starters like that sounds fantastic uh <laughs> I don't have to be on the comedy circuit anymore. That is great. Uh, I definitely, well, that, that's interesting. I think I would definitely, uh, I, I think I would prefer to work in movies. Uh, you know, that's kind of like the real love that has stayed with me throughout mm -hmm. the years, writing and uh, 
I think I'd also like to be one of those uh, writer-directors who doesn't star in it but gives themselves a small role, you know, <laughs> like you, you'd like to you be... You've got to pick out... Oh, you know, I'd like to be Martin Scorsese in the back of the taxi for that one scene with Robert De Niro where you're right. going, wow, so that's Justin Hamilton? Fuck, what's <laughs> happening there, you know? But, you know, uh, like you, it's not necessarily soundtrack music, but I would love a job of dropping popular songs into yeah. TV yeah. shows or movies uh, specifically to end an episode or to end a film like knowing yeah. the right song yeah. to hit at the right point yeah. and it's a real talent that too because it's like you've got to be ahead of the curve of everybody musically because really you want that perfect song that hasn't that people don't know yet like yeah. remember it when when Grey's Anatomy used Chasing Cars oh or, yeah or like six um, what was that not the sixth sense that show about the cemetery uh, not cemetery the funeral home when they use Bree. oh six feet under yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. like and they use see it for the yeah, last or, yeah, yeah which i have not recovered from since i first saw it no one has and no, no. one knew that song before don't you reckon it's like yeah you've got to, and, and all the Baz Luhrmann, every Baz Luhrmann soundtrack pretty much always kind of like ahead of the game yeah. I used to go and watch Sia play in Adelaide on Sundays and then I still didn't know that song in it and it dropped. And also um, one of those, this is how good that song is. The, the, the I love Six Feet Under, but that final season yeah. isn't its best and that final episode's good, yeah. but that song is so oh. great. Everyone talks about the whole season being a masterpiece. Yeah, yeah, they do, don't they? And yeah. it's because of that song. So, yeah. yeah, it's quite a talent, isn't it, to do yeah. that? Yeah. My sister would like to do that, drop the pop music. So I'll have to introduce you and you can both like, you know, debate things. movies together. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, I've, I've sometimes watched TV shows that I don't necessarily have any interest because they've dropped a, a good track in a, like in a teaser or something like that. Yeah. Like uh, yeah. uh, I, the, I, I gave The Walking Dead a go because they – I'm a big Scott Walker fan, so dropping yeah. the Walker Brothers, the sun ain't going to shine anymore, was like, oh, great, I'll give this show a go. So I, there's a real talent to it. There is. there is, And it's sort of not, it's not using like the obvious song. Like, you know, I, I worked years ago with this incredible director called Bill Buckhurst, who's still, you know, working as a director in London now. And he just had this knack of always, that that thing, like finding the song before it, like he put... Are you going to be my girl? In our like, in the play, in this particular play, it had a um, like a little video section while actors had to go and you know I guess they had to get ready for the next scene or something like that. Right. This fun scene of them out partying, and he put Are you going to be my girl before that song blew up. Right. Like how you know like so clever you know yeah yeah to be able to and to be listening like how do you even know what to listen to. No, I know. You just have to sometimes hear something and yeah. even if you hear it uh, in the periphery, you have to grab it Yeah, and, you know, you, you kind of know, I think. I think you hear a song and you know at some point there's something in the quality of it yeah. that you will be able to use at some point. Yeah. Well, there's this great thing. Someone said, I heard it on the radio or something once, about how um, every now and again, like when a song's a huge hit, the first time you hear it, your heart feels like it's heard it before. That's how you right. know this. Like, I remember hearing One Crowded Hour by um, Augie March yeah. on the radio years ago and thinking immediately, oh, my God, I love this song, but I felt like I'd heard it a million times before. Yeah. And, you know, it just it, like there's something sort of really familiar about a great song, even though yeah. you haven't 
you know, like I, yeah. Yeah, it's it somehow uh, it somehow gets into your memory as you're listening to it on that first yeah. go. Uh, yeah. yeah, I know that feeling. Yeah, so as, feeling. Uh, so that jet song was that for the Vegemite Tales? Yes, right. Because yeah. that seemed I was trying to work out when you were talking about uh, you know. It was a, a scene where they were getting changed and they're meant to be at a party. I was like, yeah. oh, which one would that have been for? So that was your that was your first big play, wasn't it? Which you, yeah. I, I didn't realize. I knew you'd written, but I didn't realize that you directed it as well. Oh yeah, that's we. <laughs> it's pretty embarrassing that I did. I I wrote it originally just so because I was an actor and I, right. I wanted to. So I actually wanted to be a musical theater actor. And I wrote it so that I could start a small musical theatre company in London. Like, I just was so dumb, Justin. Like, I had no idea about anything. And right. I really thought that writing a play would fund a theatre company. Like, ugh, like just like <laughs> less like you, don't you think? Just so no, dumb. No, it's not, it's not dumb. It's, uh, th- th- it's the impetuosity of youth, which is important yeah. for a career because I think as you get older, you you start to go, in your head before you do some things, well, that's not going to get picked up and I know how this works and this person. And I think it's really important to, you know, like I I say that as someone who has failed at tapping into it for a long time and has, you know, tried to re-engage with it. Yes, that's the thing, isn't it? Mm. It's really like you you don't, like, yeah, you sort of want, you sort of wish you still had that, Mm. but at the same time, like I look back on, so I only directed that show because, I, I had written myself a role in it and then when it came to the crunch, like I had this certain vision of what I thought, never directed a play, never, I had no idea about directing or anything like that, but I, I wanted it the way I wanted it and I also think I was scared about being in it. Like oh, I, really? Yeah, because I had to kiss someone in it because I'd never kissed anybody when I, when I uh, wrote it. I was like this little virgin who hadn't kissed anyone. I was 20. Like, I was oh, suffering. right. Yeah. Oh, you mean in real life? I thought you meant on. Oh, right. No, in real life. In real life, I hadn't kissed anybody. I was virgin. I was right. desperate to. The whole play. That's what the play is about. This girl who's just desperate to have sex. Right. And um, so the the play, I had to kiss somebody in the play. And I think as we got closer to, because I'd written a kiss into it with a hot guy, so that I would kiss somebody. You know, like <laughs> that's what I'd done. That's too much in pressure. The, yeah, in the great tradition of those filmmakers that I loved, like. Woody Allen at the time you know what I mean like just writing in kissing some hot person yeah and so as we got closer to rehearsal I think I I I got a bit scared about doing that (laughs) and so I I directed it instead and then when I directed it I actually found this like I've never ever gone back to acting after that thank god for everybody but um the I I was directing it and, you know, I'd written it and I was like, oh, my God, I love doing this and I don't have to be on a diet. I'd been sort of on a diet my entire life because I wanted to be in musicals. Right. I was so stoked that being a behind-the-scenes person just meant that I didn't really have to care about how I looked, you know, like that had been ongoing obsession and I just didn't have to worry about it. So so I I never really went back to acting. And I'm glad I didn't, but I also wonder whether that was um, I just didn't have the steel for it, you know, like I didn't have that. It was a cop-out going into but I don't know. I don't know. But That's interesting. Like, Maybe you just put yourself under too much pressure to have your first oh, snog in front of. Oh, my God, yeah, people. totally. Totally. And you know what? It all worked out really well anyway because, like, I, I fell madly in love with our stage manager 
And oh. I had, like, my first big romance. Was, oh. Yeah, so it all worked out like the play anyway, you know. Right. Like, the play did what I intended it to do. Right. that first passion, et cetera, yeah. you know. But it was, um, yeah, it was a... It was a funny thing, but that's why I directed a long, a long story as to why I directed it. And then a few years later when Bill Buckhurst came yeah. to direct it and he did just such amazing things with it that I really realised the importance of collaboration in theatre, you know, that that my creativity was one thing, but then he brought his along and it was better. You know, the sum of both of our parts was much like he, it was, he made that show so, so much better and that's what directors do. And so, you know, any playwrights that direct their own work I sort of always steer them against it if they if they ever ask me because I've just had such great experiences with directors right but then you know the flip side have you had any work where a director has taken something and mangled it and you don't have to mention names unless there's someone you want to throw down I'm not going to name any names but I have seen productions of mine where yeah I felt I've, I've really felt that you know, the act of playwriting is kind of like this act of letting go after you've right. done the first production of something, you know, like it's it's sort of, and the financial side of it is like this Faustian deal in that you just licence your play away and you don't, you know, you don't get any sort of, not that you don't get any say because I'm sure people would have me involved in theatre with my plays, but you can't, you've got to let it go, you know what yeah. I mean? And that, yeah, so I, I sort of have a little bit of a rule that I just go and see the original productions of my shows and I don't. I don't, I don't see other ones. Either. Oh, yeah, and the rest of them, it's like, God be with you. Yeah, have, have, have a wonderful time. Thank That's you so great. much for doing the show. Yeah. And thank you for the invitation, but yeah. I'm sorry I, I can't make it. I will be anywhere else. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> That's, uh, by the way, it's, it's very postmodern of you to write a play about getting a snog and then you get a snog. Like, did you ever think oh. about, geez, what do I want next? Do I want a three-story yeah. house in yeah. Kirribilli? Well, yeah, that's the thing. Well, I've got to start doing that because I just feel like words are really powerful because there's actually yeah. more to that story than that. So I had written, oh, I can tell you this, Justin, I'd written, yeah. so I'd written this play, Vegemite Tales, so I could have a pash and and. You know, I was so embarrassed about being a virgin. Like it wasn't because I was a Christian or anything. It was because like I was like fat and had pimples in high school. That's why, you know. Right. And um, and so anyway, I'd written this play. I'd written it so I could have a patch. But, but there was a scene as well where my character rang up the hot boy who had liked her, you know, and this sort of had happened in my life. Like so there was a boy, a, a much sort of at the time, much older boy that was in a group of, ran in a group of friends of mine. He, he'd sort of shown interest and I was too shy to ever do anything about it, you know. So I wrote that into this play, but I wrote this scene where I, my character rang him up and said, I really need to have sex. I need to get it over with. Can I come over to your house and do it? And he's like, yeah, sure, come over. Right. This is in the play. This is in the play. And then he came over and had problems, you know, like, Oh right, sexually. And yeah, it's really funny. It's a couldn't get it. You can say it. He, you can say it here. You couldn't, couldn't get, get it up. up. Yeah, couldn't get up. And it was a really funny little scene in the play. Anyway, while we were rehearsing the play, my bestie, who was also in the play but is also now a really sort of esteemed Sydney theatre director, Priscilla Jackman. Oh my God, Justin! I swear to God, my entire life, I just. I would still be a virgin if it wasn't for her. She pushed me into every sexual experience I've ever had, you know, like right. she she's really like my sexual cheerleader. Yeah. And she we were out this night at the walkabout in London, like how gross. Yeah. Flyering the show. 
And I met this guy and passed this. So my first passion was with this. He wasn't gross. He was nice, but it was gross. It was on the, like, no, it was the red back, the red back in, oh, it was awful. Priscilla forced me into it. I did it. And then she's like, a few days later, he was calling me and stuff. And she said, you need to be like Maddie and be proactive. This is a character in the play. You need to be proactive and call this guy up and tell him you just need to have sex. You need to get it over with. Just get him to come over. So I did that. And he came over and he couldn't get it up. Wow. Wow. Don't you think that that's really, do you know what I mean? Like exactly yeah. like the scene. It played out exactly, exactly like the scene. And thank God because, like, it wasn't meant to happen with that guy. You know what I yeah. mean? Because, like, I think for young women, like, some people make a big deal of virginity, but also I can't believe I'm telling you this in a podcast, Justin. Where else would you tell her? Yeah, this is so, I think that a good first sexual experience can just be the most wonderful, special thing on the earth. And I don't think many young women get that. And yes. I ended up getting that because it didn't work out with that bloke, you know, like that right. one that yep. like the show. You know, I had this yep. beautiful boyfriend after that. And, and it kind of, um, like, but what I'm saying is words are very powerful. And in my next play, The Appleton Ladies Potato Race, there's a character in it who everybody thinks is my mother, who's not my mother. My mother's not in The Appleton Ladies Potato Race, but everybody thinks is my mum. Um, and she has an issue throughout the play that she goes to the doctor for, um, which I always thought was MS, like, but I didn't ever state that. Anyway, my mother was diagnosed with Parkinson's. Oh, right. With a lot of the similar symptoms that this woman had in the play. Right. So basically I wrote my mother to have Parkinson's as well. Wow. <laughs> if you ever write about me, can you just make me super successful, <laughs> healthy, <laughs> You know, that, that's all it has to be. Uh, a really bland character that has nothing but good things happen to them. Great uh, yeah. Learns no lessons and yeah. gets to the end of the play and everyone doesn't really remember them, but he's pretty happy. Uh, happy with a mansion somewhere. Would you like a mansion? I, I don't want a mansion, mansion, but, no, no, but, you know. Just like no dramas. No, no dramas. And no penis issues. <laughs> no That's, penis that I issues. Can you. Yeah. But, to be honest, I think a, uh, a flaccid cock can be a relief for both parties sometimes <laughs> as well. So. <laughs> That's right. That's, well, certainly in that situation that I recall some 20 odd years ago, I was beyond relieved. Can you swear yeah. on this podcast? Because I was beyond yeah. fucking relieved. I, I was yeah. so relieved. I can't yeah. even tell you. Yeah. Yeah, I'm it's, still relieved. It, it's funny. There's um, uh, the writer Alan Moore, who is a self-proclaimed uh, magician and and uses magic and sigils and things like that, has uh, written himself into many of his stories. And uh, same oh, yeah. with uh, Grant Morrison as well. And they kind of have these avatars that appear in in the stories that they tell, and and that then affects them in the real world. And there is something. I don't know what it is, but there is something interesting about taking a thought from the ether and uh, yeah. and and trapping it in uh, in a, uh, a collection of words. Well, don't you think that? Like, I feel like sometimes with some people, it's really evident how much their thinking has made their life. Yes, and it, you know, like you, you kind of like I think if there was um, an actor. An, an actor that I really, really love and, uh, you know, we were casting for something many, 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 many years ago and I thought this act, this act, we needed somebody in the cast that was very, very sexy in this role and um, 
the director said, I said, this guy is very, very sexy. There's no way like he could just, you know, not be sexy. And the director said, go meet him. You'll see. You know what I mean? Like, and I walked into the room to meet this actor and I was like, oh my God, how could you not think this actor's sexy? He's absolutely beautiful. And I spent a few hours with him and he didn't have a lot of self-confidence. And by the end, I was like, oh, actually, no, he's not. Right. You know I mean? Like it was like, 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 it was sort of because he didn't think he was. You know what I mean? Like he, yeah. and he absolutely was until, you know, and I think about a lot, a lot with a lot of my friends and also with me, like we, we keep ourselves, we keep sort of, doing the same things over and over again and the energy we put out into the world seems to be what happens, doesn't it? Right, yeah. You have to be careful about uh, the stories that you tell yourself. About yourself. And uh, the stories that you feel comfortable with and because sometimes you can feel – you can feel comfortable with bad stories about yourself. You can feel comfortable with, you know – it, it, it drives me insane when, uh, you know, you're talking to someone that's like a good friend of yours and you uh, find that they're like something as simple as, oh, I'm always late. Sorry, that's just what I am. I'm always late. Yeah. It's like, well, if you yeah. stop telling yourself that and just get there early, maybe yeah. you'll stop being late. But the reason you're late all the time is because you keep telling yourself that. So yeah. then you're happy to do that last minute thing that you know is going to make you late because that's who you are. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's like people that think they're going to be cheated on always get cheated on 100% of the time. Do you know what I mean? Like personally, I have never been cheated on in my life. I've never thought anybody was going to, you know what I mean? And there's no reason for that. There's no one to think I've been cheated on. I don't know. But it just feels to me like people that think they're going to be 100% of the time are, you know? Yeah. yeah. I it's just the energy we put into the world or something. Yeah. I I find it fascinating with – a lot of the comedians uh, uh, in general, but specifically at the moment around my age who have been playing themselves, and I say that in inverted commas, on stage for 20-plus years. And I, I think as you get older, you become more and more you. And that can be great or that can be a fucking disaster. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and and I think... Uh, there's some of some of my peers that, even though I have a lot of affection for them, I don't particularly want to hang out with them because right. they're 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 constantly that facet of themselves on stage rather than a real person. Right. Well, that's interesting. It's this thing about I'm sure like words are really powerful, don't you think? Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. Definitely. And, and, yeah. And, and people underestimate them as well. And and this is why. Uh, you know, uh, this is why I get frustrated for and have done so for, for decades is uh, people uh, being happy to come home at night and just watch shit television. They just watch shit television because, oh, yeah, that's all I want to do. But shit television is a lot of shit words going into your head mm-hmm. that turns your head into marsh. So then, like, once upon a time, shit television and I – or, you know uh, – you know, popular television was MASH. Like, you know, and MASH had, yeah, so you know, I, I know some of its age, but that was a comedy show that sometimes you'd watch an episode and it was in black and white and it was serious and there yeah. was no laugh track. And you know what I did as a kid? Didn't flinch. Loved it. Thought yeah. it was great. And then the next episode, they were wearing Hawaiian shirts and dressing gowns playing poker and yeah. I loved it. And then the next episode was funny and then something serious would happen and then it would be funny again and you accepted it and it was good. So, you know, 
if you're living on a steady diet of bullshit reality TV, it makes your head mush. And that means, you know, this is why I think uh, these are the battles that people don't discuss with cinema and theatre is the is the sense that we've just kind of allowed uh, popular culture to dictate what we enjoy mm. and dumb us down. So then suddenly, how many times does someone say, oh, I didn't like a movie, it was too hard to focus, you know, or I just, it was too, oh, there was just too many words or, oh, I just didn't really get it. Oh, what did you go and see instead? Oh, I saw the Marvel movie, it was great. No, it wasn't. It wasn't. It was fucking awful, you know. <laughs> so I think, uh, I, so that's a very long roundabout way of agreeing with you that, uh the words that you use and yeah. uh, uh, and the words that you tell yourself are yeah. you've got to be careful because you might paint yourself into a corner. You do. I was talking to a friend about this recently about how um, some of our fam- older family members have started to um, watch a lot of Sky News oh. and how that, like previously, really sort of well-rounded thinking sort of people like that, the, their brains are just like getting mushy. But I don't know what what Sky News is telling people, or how it how it's kind of sucking this sort of demographic in and making yeah. them feel included, maybe where they don't feel included in the rest of our woke world, or something like that. I don't know yeah. what it is, but it's like doing the the. It's it's a weird analogy to make, but we were also talking about how we both recently worked with some older actors who don't stop working in theatre. Right. And their brains are just so sharp. And yeah. so because they're, you know, having to remember all these lines and all these things. So they've got these amazing brains versus like what Sky News does to a brain. It's like kind of like the opposite. Yeah. You know, um, it's sort of, it just makes, it sort of depresses, I don't know. Anyway, I'd, I'd love somebody to do a PhD or a study <laughs> in uh Actors in their 70s working yeah. in theatre versus, you know, maybe people, retirees who are watching Sky News. Yeah. Well, you know, like uh, my mum's 69. She turned 70 this year yeah. and she's uh, she's still sharp as a tack. And I reckon part of the reason is that she's still watching documentaries and yeah. she's still watching really interesting things. And if anything, she's more of a lefty than she's ever been. Oh, like that's it. fantastic. So she's, she's gone the opposite route and she, does a, she doesn't hang out with a lot of people because um, they have started watching Sky News and she just... Just yeah. can't cope, but I but I also think uh, you know for the for older people who feel disenfranchised, it's because everyone's been turned into generational tribes. So sometimes, as someone who is fifty, who has fought and agreed with a lot of the things that are coming into play and fruition now, even I will at some point feel like when someone's lecturing me feel like I want to push back against it. Like I had a I had I have not eaten meat in a long time and I had someone banging on to me about being a vegan to such an extent that I had this weird craving for chicken. And I just could have <laughs> quite easily just gone and bought a whole chicken and eaten it in front of them as to say, shut up. Just it's too much. I yeah. I was a vegetarian before you were born. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah. like like, has it ever been thus, though, Justin? Like, if you like, uh, last year we did a podcast, a country, not a country practice. Yeah. And one of the things that we we did an episode about was um, how um, deeply teenagers cared in the eighties about um, nuclear war. Yeah. How how disenfranchised they felt from the decision making process, yeah. etc. 
And then there was a Vietnam War. And then there was like, I like, is it just like, is that what happens as we all get older? Is that generations clash and disagree about things? Like, hasn't it just been ever thus? It's oh not- yeah, but but from my perspective, I agree with them. <laughs> so that's that's where you know when you're being lectured and you're like going, wait a second. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, that's, yeah. You know, like sometimes, uh, you know, sometimes I'll be lectured about feminism, and it's like. I was raised by a single mum in the 70s. Yeah, yeah. You have no idea what shit she put up with. Like, just because she was unmarried, you know, the suburb used yeah, to think she God. was a lesbian. They used to t- talk about how she couldn't keep a man, all this kind of bullshit, oh. even though they were all her choices not to, you know, she just yeah. didn't want some shit bloke being around and uh, influencing me in a bad way. So, yeah. uh, I, you know, what it is now is that um, you just can't escape everyone's opinion. Yeah, I think that's the hard it's thing. So ever present, isn't it? Yeah, and there's yeah. Uh, there's a lack of nuance in the ability to have conversation and yeah. uh, you know talk about things without getting getting your back up. Are they having a go at me? Oh yeah, well I'll go on the offensive first. Yeah. What do you know, well, boomer? And you go, yeah. I'm Gen we, X. <laughs> we all do, don't we? <laughs> you got to come see my new play. There's a lot of this. Yes. Stuff. Um. The the like I guess. We all feel like that, don't we? When somebody disagrees with us or accuses us of not being open-minded or something, like we straight away want to fight back Yeah. instead of just like when you're attacked, you do want to react, don't you, instead of just like calm down and, and yeah. like, take it in. It's very difficult to be the calm down and take it in person. Yeah. And it's, you know, but once again, everything, there's, it's, there's so much noise, yeah. uh, you know, and I think 24-7 news just doesn't oh help anything because you know once upon a time you'd get up you'd read the newspaper in the morning you'd watch the news at six so you had anxiety at 8 a.m you had anxiety from six to six thirty. then you watch mash and you were fine but uh, now 24 7 like i would have had a nervous breakdown in the 80s with the threat of nuclear war if i could have accessed the news at any like given 24/7. moment yeah oh too much so full on too much yeah um so uh, your new play, which is uh, opening soon, uh, Broadcast Coup, uh, did you think about directing that or is directing out of the question? Absolutely for you not. It's completely out of the question. I also yeah. don't want to work that hard, Justin. <laughs> like, uh, I feel like at, directors have a really, really tough role in theatre. They work on the show for a really long I mean, as does the writer, of course, but yeah. no, I have no interest at all in directing anything ever. I have interest... Would you direct someone else's work? No, no, not in theatre. Yeah. I'm really interested in learning more about directing the screen. Oh, because I'd love to be involved more in the decision making process. In and I and I I'm much more of a um like a much more film and TV literate than I am theatre literate. Oh no, that's right. not entirely that's not entirely true. That's not that's I think that's an unfair no. I'm, that's not the case. Be careful but, of what you tell yourself. Yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. <laughs> that's so true. I, I'm much more um, com- I would be more comfortable though to direct um, yeah. in film and TV than I would in in theatre. Yeah, yeah. What what uh, what what movies are the type of uh, or TVs uh, would be kind of touchstones for you? Um, I love anything by like Nicole Holofcener, and I love most of. Um, Alexander Payne's movies. Oh, yeah. I just rewatched um, Sideways the other night. Oh, God. It was perfect. Sideways yeah. is perfect, isn't it? Yeah. 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 And he's in Nebraska. And yeah. Joseph, but I, I didn't love that one about the little people he did 
recently. Uh, um, yeah, with Matt Damon. Wasn't that downsizing yeah. or something like downsizing. that? Downsizing. But, you know, yeah. the Descendants as well is just yeah. so perfect. Yeah. Um, so those kind of filmmakers um, and, of course, like I know like like Woody Allen films when I was growing up, like everybody else, those yeah. kind of films that are like a, about people doing things and, yeah. and having feelings and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, like, yeah, they would be the kind of films I, I, I would just love to make those sorts of films. Yeah. And and um Gillian Robespierre is another filmmaker I love. Yeah. Um like Obvious Child is, is if I could make a film like Obvious Child, I'd die happy. Right. So that that sort of movie making, which we don't tend to do a lot of here. I don't know if it's because it's so New Yorky or so and also English, I love a lot of English films and like there's a bunch of Ken Loach films I love and a bunch of Mike Lee, like Mike Lee films and you know so just very, I guess, human drama yeah. slash comedy. Like Vera is one of my favourite films, Mike Lee's, you know, yeah. the, those sorts of films. But I also love Richard Curtis films. I love anything, like not anything. Like I, I can see I can see if I was making films, they would probably have more of that vibe, right. I would imagine. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I'm, actually, I'm not as sunny and optimistic as Richard Curtis, though, so I don't know about that. So, you know, maybe that would not be a bad thing for some Richard Curtis. Well, that's movie. the thing, don't you think? You know? like, I feel, yeah, a few of them could, like, I remember seeing Love Actually when it came out because I loved his movie, you know, his movies before that, and thinking, oh, he's he's a writer that actually shouldn't be directing his own work. Like, people right. should, you know, like slash his stuff. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. About time, I can never sit. And there's a lot I'd change in that movie too. Like there's a few dumb stories, like the Kate Moss storyline with the, like, the female characters aren't great. But that movie, like every time I sit down, like it's on the TV, and I think I'll just watch until the ad break. Yeah, I watch the whole thing and I'm decimated by it by the end. You know, so, <laughs> so I, I kind of, yeah, those kinds of films I would love to make. But anyway, I'm 42. Who knows whether that's in the well, in the future? Well, I think there's plenty of time. Like you know, it's uh, you know, you're still young. Do you know what I mean? That's so like nice the, I love that. Well, it is. You, you're still young. Like, you, you know, I think there's too much stuff where uh, people, um, you know, uh, they'll, they'll take themselves out of the running to do things. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. And it's, it's also an attitude. Yeah. You know, like I know some people who are 35 who are too old. Yes, right. Yeah, yeah. It's so true, isn't it? Uh, so, yeah, uh, I like that we've had this conversation, actually, because it's sort of 
was something when um, the Appleton Ladies Potato Race was being made, like my yeah. play that's just been made into a movie. Yes. So Are we really, allowed to talk about that? Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, what? yeah, great, great. Yeah. Um, I really found myself thinking during that process, because as a writer, you're kind of um, once everything starts, well, even when everything goes into pre-production, no one consults you on anything. No one says, oh, is this the right house for that character or is this the right costume for that character? Really? Oh, no, that, one. That... no one. You sort of hand in the script and that's that's kind of it. Yeah. And How, how um, often has that happened to someone who's written something beautiful and just been sitting there going, who's that actor? Why are they playing that person? Yeah. And you, so do, like, you know, yeah. sorry to interrupt you, getting back to Sideways, hmm. uh, the writer of the original book didn't like, uh, that Sandra O oh was uh, really? booked to play that character, and uh, when he wrote the follow-up, uh, had that character, you know, have a terrible turn in life. So, still didn't like her after seeing her in the movie. How crazy is that? She's That's so good. She's crazy. so good. Right. Anyway, sorry to interrupt, but that was but just too interesting. That, see that again, like, is maybe one of the re- like reasons why. Writers actually do need to let things go and trust a director. Like, right. you know, like the director we've got for the potato race, um, Lynn Hegarty, is fantastic. Yeah. So of course, like, you know, uh, she's going to do a great job. But it's really interesting just that that when I was watching that process, I just thought, oh, no, I'd like to be more involved. And it, I don't mean this is a, a criticism of anybody who is involved and who has made the decisions, but I thought I would like to be in those decisions more. I would like to be doing the casting, I yeah. well, like involved in the casting. I'd like to be involved in the designs. I'd like, and, that, and the job who's involved in all those things is the director. Oh, right, right, Who'd right. be a producer because that would be exhausting, just everybody asking you for money you don't have all the time. Right, yeah. yeah. So, so what would, what's the credit that you would need to be able to still get your fingers on things? Would well, it be a, assistant, executive producer or something? Or? No, my plan, my, my plan and Priscilla's plan, uh, who I work with a lot as a director, my bestie who's also a director, is our plan is that we'll make movies together because we're so consultative on the whole process together. So I would write right. screenplay. I'd be still screenplay by. Yeah. Um, Priscilla would be directed by. We'd oh, you want to you want to be like the Coen brothers. Like, you know how you can't work out who's directing and who's yeah. producing and they, they kind of. Yeah, she'd be doing the directing, I think. Yeah, yeah. But, but you be, would. We'd be still, like, making yeah. the decisions together on yeah. key things. But I also find, you know, I am interested in doing my own thing as well like maybe, like I'd like to do a little directing course or something yeah you should do it yeah I will I was yeah. actually talking to somebody at a party about one the other night and I just think that would be a, a you know an interesting thing because I love working with actors too actors yeah wonderful and you know if you yeah. get the right team it's not like you have to come up with the shot list or anything like that you know right so it's an interesting no, th- thing making a movie yeah yeah I think it's um it's uh, you know when it all comes together so beautifully. It's 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 yeah. like it's, it's a, a it's a it's a miracle, and that's yeah. and that's why I get shitty with people who uh, will dismiss a movie oh, over like one line of dialogue, or oh. that you know there'll just be something small. And like, don't get me wrong, I can I can have a moment where you go, oh, that that was a bit of yeah. a clunker. But yeah. if I'm en- if I'm enjoying ninety nine percent of it, like yeah. who gives a shit? Oh my god, and also like. 
I, I think I've I think I've said this to you before that it always makes me crazy on I have a few people on my Facebook who are like normies out in the world yeah. who just love giving film reviews, star reviews. And like yeah. we'll give, and I'm just like, and we'll give something that somebody you know has put there. There was one I saw, I wanted, I nearly sent it to you actually. It made me so crazy, but I just <laughs> had to. It was like an actually, it was like a good film. Or like a film that, you know, like there are cynical films that you know are made for money, right? Yeah. You know yeah. it. And then there are films that. Are good. Uh, yeah, or that you know someone's heart is in, but they might yes. not have completely work. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, you know, and like seeing like normies who don't know the process of what yeah. goes into trying to make a film good give something two stars. Yeah, just makes me a crazy person because yeah. it's so. You know, I remember um, years ago, one of my besties is also the editor of my film, The Appleton Ladies Petitoris. Right, he's a film editor and a TV editor, and we were talking about a film. Um, that we'd both seen, that we really wanted to be amazing. You know, we wanted it to be amazing, but the like the people were the people in the cast were too good looking. Right. The, um, the it was overlit. You know, that sort of bright Aussie sort of overlit. Everything's too colourful. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And the script, because these actors were so good looking and not super truthful, they didn't quite make it work and stuff. It was just all these tiny little cuts that this film had that didn't make it what it could have been and what we wanted to to watch it and katie said this amazing thing i've just she's like it's is that thing she said the fact that any film is watchable is an absolute miracle when you think of all the things that you've got to get right yeah that have to work together to make something watchable is absolutely astonishing so even like when you watch those like there was this beautiful christmas movie this year on netflix called um noel christmas i think it was called or something like that it was Absolutely beautiful. And it happened, it was um, made by some great filmmaker of the 80s as it goes. I can't remember who it was, but it was really, like, it, it was obviously made by somebody who really knew what they were doing. But even that, like, I, watching that, I was thinking, God, this is a miracle that this, like, super soppy, like, you know, um, hallmarky kind of thing, it's, they totally pull it off. The yeah. pacing, the, like, everything, like, it's just so hard. Everything yeah. is so hard about making a film. Oh, yeah. Sometimes you can just have a movie that's pitch perfect and there's one actor who feels like they're in a different movie. Yes. And it's yes. like, and and sometimes, but sometimes yeah. that choice can be good. But yeah. sometimes that choice can be, oh, w- yeah. w- where are they? <laughs> well, how, do you, yeah, how do you know when it's working or not? Like I was watching Moulin Rouge just again recently. Yeah. And watching, so, you know, Baz famously said apparently in that uh, when he was directing these actors, be so, like dare me to tell you to pull back you know what i mean right. like dare me to like tell you to tone it down like that's the the tone of the film you wanted and i was watching jim broadbent's performance in it and you know jim broadbent in pretty much everything else he's in is so quiet and measured and um bumbling and you know like lovely and and truthful yeah in that film he is just like 110 percent the whole time and it really works for that film right but i was like how brave do you have to be to be Jim Broadbent in that film? Oh, like, yeah. You know, like. Yeah. So, so like, the weird, like, a shift in tone of that performance could have just made it, like, the way he was even perform is performing it with any other director, it would be like, that would that would be terrible to watch. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it wouldn't be, it'd be OTT. He would be, yeah. he would be in his London townhouse crying for the rest of his life. After, yeah. 
you know, but it's, it's just like the, the trust involved, the skill of people, like it, it, I just can never get over the whole process of it. And and also uh, in the in the current climate with memes and gifts and you know little grabs, people can take parts of a performance and put it up and say this person overacted all the way through yeah. the film. But it's that one bit which is in context, and then they'll use that as an yeah. example, and then that yeah. becomes the narrative for the general yeah. public. Oh, that person mm-hmm. yells all the way through that film. It's like no, 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 that yeah. was that no, yeah that fifteen second grab. Yeah, it's so interesting, isn't yeah. it, the whole, uh, like, filmmaking thing. And I just feel like after going through the potato race stuff, yeah, I can never, ever, in fact, I don't ever want to be watching something and thinking or saying, oh, that shit, or, yeah. you know, like, because it, it just. It, it didn't It didn't work for me. That's, that's my. Yeah. I, I always think, like, it's, you can always find something great in it. Like there was so much about Babylon that have you seen Babylon yet? Oh no, no, I can't wait. I was meant to see it this weekend, and my friend uh, was sick, and oh. she asked if I could wait a, another weekend. And I'm I'm totally up for oh, great. three okay, I'm hours. I'm not going to say anything this. about it. I just want, right. like let's let's go. Let's next time we talk, we'll go. Yeah, clean. yeah. You can tell me what you think of it, but yeah, yeah. Movies basically. I can't. Everybody tries. Yeah, I can't wait. Like I'm genuinely excited, and yeah. I. I'm excited to walk out of that film and go, what the fuck just happened? Or, yeah. you know what? I thought that was pretty great. Yeah. And who knows? And isn't it okay too that you can think a bunch of it's pretty great and a bunch of it, you know, like it's, yeah. yeah. So so I just feel like the whole process of making the potato race has just changed my, um, I mean, not that I ever was. The only movie I, I sort of really feel like I was angry over was like Baba Hotep. Do you remember that years ago? Oh, where, yeah, yeah, about, yeah, yeah. Where Elvis and yeah. Kay were reincarnated into yeah. I was so excited about that movie and I I just left it so angry. That's the only one I can remember actually feeling angry about. Yeah, you have to be careful about those types of movies, about getting too excited for them. Like there's a yeah. movie coming out this year called uh, Cocaine Bear. Have you seen that? <laughs> no, it's but about, I'm already excited. It's, I, I, I think roughly I just watched the trailer once and said I'll just go and see it because I don't want to build it up too much in my head. Yeah. But uh, I think uh, some people trying to get some cocaine, drop it in the forest, a bear gets into it and goes fucking psycho. Oh, so, my God, what a great idea for a movie. Yeah, Cocaine Bear, two good words put together. That's and I'm that not going to build it up any more than that. That is a great idea. <laughs> so uh, so I, well, I have to let you go, but I actually got you on this podcast to talk about your new play, A Broadcast Coup, and we should do that before I finally let sure. you go. Um, can you uh, let people know uh, what's, uh, what's this new play about? What was the inspiration for it? And uh, mm-hmm. let us uh, know what, uh, where we can see it and what to expect. So this play is about a, a big, famous, sort of nationally loved and respected broadcaster called Mike King, which I'm, I apologise in advance for that name. I didn't mean it. It just happened because everybody in radio is called Michael or somebody King. Yeah. I didn't mean it to be Mike King, you know what I mean? Like yeah. the, the mics, like, I'm embarrassed. Anyway. Why? Um, Why are so, you embarrassed? That's kind of like it's, a... Uh... Yeah, it's like, it's like it just looks like such a clumsy metaphor and I, I really did not, I just didn't mean it to be. It was your so, subconscious. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was totally. So Mike King, he's, he's, kind, he's kind of on the slide a little bit, you know, and um, there's a there's an independent podcaster who's got a 
a podcast called A Broadcast Coup where she's basically a little bit like, do you remember when the Me Too movement started and Tracy Spicer was being sent all yes. this stuff about um, dodgy blokes? Yeah. And she had all these files on people. And, you know, for a while we had a lot of great journalism around that. Yeah. And so this is sort of supposing that that continued and, and this character has got this podcast and she she goes after these blokes and she sort of decides to turn her her gaze on to Mike King because he's a bit dodgewanos. But he's not a rapist. He's not a he's not um he's not a sort of serial abuser, but his behavior is just not completely kosher. Um so it's it's the it's the story of that like will she kind of bring him down, will she cancel him or will he right. just go off into the sunset to his Potts Point mansion and have a nice life. So there's something much more interesting about delving into that grey area, isn't yeah. there? Because That's, when yeah. it's when it's when it's something so heinous, then it's just it's black and white. Speak. But when it's yeah. someone who hasn't really done anything wrong but hasn't been great, yeah. That's yeah. That's very that's interesting. What, and that that was what I was interested in exploring because like, you know, watching a lot of these blokes that kind of went down in that movement like there was one particular court case when I started writing this that that um this bloke was supported by a lot of friends you know going in and supporting him and I started to think about like what must it be like if your friend of 40 years you know your best friend that maybe you know maybe you've helped through depression or maybe you've has helped you through stuff or, you know, and you've grown up seeing his kids grow up and you're friends with his wife and, you you know, yeah. all this kind of stuff. What does it feel like to see that person accused? Like, and what is it like to publicly stand by them? And what are you saying to the world when you do that? All that kind of stuff. Anyway, I was watching this one court case and there was one of this, this man's friends who had sort of facilitated his behaviour for a gazillion years within the industry had, you know, like basically turned a blind eye to it. Everybody knew it was going on, that kind of thing. He, this guy's best friend. And um, I remember watching the news one night and feeling furious that, like, seeing this man, the friend, walk out of the, and like knowing who this person was, seeing him walk out of the court and going, how dare you? Like, how dare you sort of add to this young woman's case? by, you know, your character reference. and But, like, I was furious, absolutely furious at this man. And then the next morning I was walking my dog. I lived in Leichhardt at the time. I was walking my dog, Zerp. <laughs> and there was a man coming towards me walking his dog, Gerp. And as people with dogs do, you know, you you smile and you're very friendly and warm to each other and you say hello and you keep, keep moving on. You know, it's very, very warm, man. Good morning. Off we went. And I thought... Fuck me, that's that guy from the news last night. Right. And I had this moment where I was like, we're all just human beings trying to walk our dogs in the morning. Like right. we're all just trying to get through the day, you know, without. And that, I don't know why, but that really sort of um, encouraged me to to make it the play even more sort of grey in terms of the relationships that Mike has with the people around him, you know, the all of that kind of stuff. I wanted to, I wanted to explore all of that, like standing by somebody facilitating somebody you know what I mean like like um enabling their their shitty you know the the shitty things that they're doing that that 
that maybe too in the in the context of the time you don't fully grasp <laughs> Mike King he's like this you know sexy successful rich famous man and you know he's a pretty decent guy by most measures he's probably got a little Australia medal you know that he wears all the time for his <laughs> charity work yeah. he's hosting the independent book awards he's oh, yeah. you know holding bad people to account but the fact of the matter is you know he's he's over the sort of 23 years he's had the radio show and probably beyond that when he was a newspaper reporter he's always like been a bit of a pants man he had lots of love affairs so He's been involved along the way, mostly over the last few years. You know, he meets people at work, so he'll have a relationship with a junior producer, maybe for, you know, six months, a year, something like that. Then once he's, like, done with her or they've broken up, he doesn't want her sitting, you know, across behind a screen producing the show. Like, you know, like that would sort of bum his vibe, wouldn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And so he just has all these women just move to other shows or other networks and the like. Yeah, so, you know, he he doesn't necessarily do these moves himself. His producer just makes a phone call to a mate at Channel 9 or Channel 7 or something like that. And, you know, that problem's gone and another young producer comes in and he may or may not have an affair with them and the may, thing may or may not happen over and over again. Um, and over time, of course, the producers get younger and the like, but, like, does that matter? So that's the question we're asking here. Like, is that sort of, is that acceptable? It, it's off. Like, it's not breaking the law, exactly. but it's but it's off. And, exactly. and also it's, like, if he, I don't know, if he was kind of known for it, then, well, he's known for it. But if he's this paragon of truth, but then also people are flawed. But there is yeah. there is something there is something off about doing that constantly and consistently. But what's worse in in a way is um, he has someone doing it on his behalf as well, looking out for him. And there's a there's a a, a part of it that's enabled, which makes it doesn't let him off the hook, but if other people haven't been holding him accountable for this bad behaviour, why over time would he, you know, unless he really wanted to look into himself, think that's bad to act that way? Yeah, and I just kind of think uh, about as well, like I don't know what is, I mean there's a there's an argument to be had in the play, like it's all in the play, um, mm. that, you know, who is going to complain about going from being a junior producer on a radio show to getting in the newsroom of a major network? Like, what's bad about that? But the thing that I, I find about it that that is why I wrote about it, what unsettles me, is that someone wasn't able just to continue on the career path that they wanted. Yeah. That they're put into a newsroom and probably the whole newsroom knows why they're there. Yeah. Reputationally, that's really embarrassing for a woman. You know, it's really... Yeah. It, it, it's kind of so it's very grey as you can see because he's not their year eight maths teacher. No, you know, they're adults. He's adults, but then again, he is also like in a position of power over them. Yeah. Um, so it's really dicey territory, you know, and that's what we're kind of trying to explore in the play. I'm sure there's some women that it's kind of uh, put, uh, maybe not necessarily ruined their career, but changed its course in a way that they didn't want. But I'm sure it's maybe worked out for some women who were completely fine with it as well. 
who well, don't understand where some are upset about it because it's like, yeah, everyone knows what he's like, so who gives a shit? Yeah, exactly. So it's kind yeah. of like that's I'm, I'm just, as you can see, it's like the it's the grey area of, of the whole thing. And it's really interesting generationally the reaction that um, young people have had to this play versus some older people. Yeah. Some older people have, like, fe- felt it very sort of have been like, oh, my God, you know, I've been that person in this situation, right? You know, but young people seem sort of uniformly kind of like, no, what he's doing is like transgressing a very important line and, and, you know, putting people at risk, people's careers at risk and stuff like that. Yeah. So I I just am interested to see how it's going to be um, interpreted. Well, he's definitely transgressing, but, uh, and he should be held accountable for that. Yeah. But it's also, you know, sometimes I think with these arguments, people are put in the same basket and in a way that kind of dilutes, once again, the, the term nuance, the nuance of all these arguments by just categorising them all as this one thing. Mm. Well, that's, you know? why, that's why I, I wanted this sort of character because, you know, I think that people will draw similarities similarities between a broadcast coup and morning wars that um apple tv show oh yeah yeah um because morning wars basically is like everything that happens to steve carell's character and his workmates after he's sacked my play is up to the moment of decision as to whether he's going to be out or in you know like it's what leads up to that but in The Morning Wars, which I must say came out after, way after I'd written this because we were meant to do this during um, well, when COVID shut us down, our first means, rehearsals. means you're tapping into the zeitgeist as well, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. But um, they make, in Morning Wars, Steve Carell's character is a rapist, ultimately. Right. Like we discover that sort of in the last episode, the second last episode, something like that. Yeah. So suddenly as an audience, we're off the hook Yeah. from that stuff, you know, from... Um, and I didn't want to do that with this. I sort of didn't want to let anyone off the hook in deciding, you know, what Mike King's, like, does he deserve to sit in a room depressed for the rest of his life being cast out of society because he had multiple relationships with junior people junior to him and then moved them on when he was sick of them? Like, I, I don't know. Like, I don't know right. the answer to that question. Yeah. So, so that's kind of... What and if Mike King was my friend, how would I feel about that? As opposed to some person that you know, it's really it's all complicated stuff. Yeah, well, well, as a writer, there must be a part of you that likes. I'm guessing parts of Mike. Yeah, yeah. I, I, you know, I kind of. Um, what was I thinking about the other night when there's something I was thinking about? Just oh, Monica Lewinsky. Um, you know, the Monica Lewinsky. Yeah. Since, it's 25 years since that. Yeah. And I always find that story absolutely bone chilling because I would so easily get into that situation. Right. Like I always see pictures of her, you know, she was like this chubby, mouthy kind of smart girl with this big opportunity and this very powerful, attractive man shows her attention. I would be all over that. Do you know what I mean? Right. I would be so in that and I would be, I, I'm sure I would have found a Linda trip to gossip about because I love having a gossip as well, you know, yeah. so just stuff like that. So somebody like Mike King, yeah. You know, when I think of um, like a character, like like I was talking to my sister about that character in Rake, for example. You know that Richard Roxburgh plays. Yeah. Like a hot mess. Yeah. 
a hot mess. And, and like, if we were to forensically look at that show too, I'm sure he does a million dodgy things in terms of like post me too stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah. But I would be hook, line and sinker for that guy. Like anybody who's got half a brain and like, there is something alluring about, you know, the character that I've written for a broadcast coup. Um, he's meant to be, you know, like a bit quite rich, quite yeah. powerful, quite famous and charismatic. Now, yeah. what a combination. There are yeah. many women that would resist being pursued by somebody like that. You yeah. know, like, yeah. So so I find it, yeah, really sort of, yeah, interesting. Totally, yeah, it's interesting to me. What happens if Mike King had uh, slept with all these juniors and then at the end of the play you realise that they all still worked for him and they've all just risen in <laughs> positions of power, then suddenly it's like, that's a different. Is is that? That's a different, a different story? story. Is it? Yeah. I don't yeah. know. And is it? Is it if they've been able to sort of leverage that connection? Oh, like, maybe maybe he had a relationship with him, and uh, he still thought they were. He was comfortable with them hanging around, even yeah. though the relationship ended. Yeah, and then, which, which would be a different story, though. That's I, a different story. Yeah, 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 because it's not quite as like like somebody's not lost their career over it, so they've not had to find no. a job or. Or be it's it's that I always think about just what it must be like when you've been transferred somewhere and everyone in the building knows that about you before you've even arrived. Yeah. So you're like a slut or you're a like yeah. oh watch out for her or you've got this story that wafts in with you. Yeah. That, you know, is is kind of like the trope of the kind of scarlet woman since the beginning of time, which has yeah. been so unfair. Yeah. And so I just, it just makes me so crazy. Um, so I'm looking forward to seeing if that sort of stuff is discussed afterwards, you know? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I would hope that I watch it and it just has people second guessing, like, like thinking twice before they're just like dodgy in the workplace. Yeah. Well, also, uh, I also feel sorry for the women who come into a situation where everyone knows that they're the new, going to be the new plaything for a year. Oh, is that as too? Well. Yeah, like oh, yeah. Like, I mean, every woman and probably every person has, you know, um, memories of being warned subtly about people. Like I can mm. remember at school, the woodwork teacher had this sort of reputation for leaving handprints of you know, um, dust on people's asses, And so he used to touch people. And, and wow. it was a different not, time. Yeah, yeah. You would just know not to go to woodwork and there were like jokes made about not doing woodwork or like not, you know, like like there were all these kind of like just, you know, in the play we've got this a moment where somebody's sent on a story and she's told to take a bloke producer with her. Yeah. But that's a code as well, isn't it? Yeah, the, yeah. And so, so it's sort of things like that. But then on the, like I remember just even a few years ago introducing one of our, so I've got one of my dearest friends is a very esteemed neuroscientist and she's also incredibly beautiful, like incredibly beautiful. And her beauty has been a real, um, and she's talked about this publicly, so I'm not sort of like, well, she sort of talked about it. She's not being taken seriously because she's so, like, she wouldn't say, because I'm so beautiful, I'm not taken seriously. But fact of the matter is she's not being taken seriously because she's so beautiful. Um, and I introduced, and she's incredible. I introduced her to, you know, like a major public identity once um, who I thought could help her career. And he took her off to talk to her in a studio 
And I felt so uncomfortable about that. Do you know what I mean? Like I felt, I still do. I still, And I still never really even said to her, I'm sorry. For, like it, I felt wrong about it and I'm sure right. she did too and I've never apologised for it and I don't know what I could have done because that man was in such a position of power over both of us. Right. And, you know, this was like. Sorry, did something bad happen or no? No, no. Oh, it was right. just, no I, well, I don't think no, I don't think so. But it was like, but it was uncomfortable. You know what I mean? Right. I just thought he's he's objectifying the way he was looking at her and the right. way he was kind of yeah. talking to her. And I don't think anything she did, I don't think he did do anything to her, but it felt uncomfortable. I felt uncomfortable letting her go off with him alone. And it was I didn't say anything. And I'm like a, you know, so I think it's filled our lives are filled with moments like that. And I just I just want, because, like, let's be real, it's mostly men that behave in a way that makes other people feel uncomfortable. I just want that to stop. Yeah. I just want it to, you know, like, I don't want to be thinking about whether I should be reporting somebody for commenting on what someone wears or, I don't, or being just going up to the line of inappropriateness. Yeah. Because you don't want their hot, because you know them, they're your colleagues and you mostly like them. You yeah. don't want them to feel unco- uncomfortable and embarrassed, you know? Yeah. It's all so complicated. Anyway, I hope that that's some of the... But also, can I say, it's a comedy as well. So somehow yes. you'll, you'll, <laughs> there's plenty to laugh at in it as well. So, well it, people are di- you know, people are dickheads, Justin. So yes. there's yes. plenty to laugh at. I, I think people just have to be... Uh, you just have to be more aware you know, of yeah. when you're when you're talking about things. I've got lots of friends who have uh, young daughters who are, you know, teenagers and or, or young women now. And I'm yeah. very careful about the language that I use with them, and I've yeah. known, like, I've held them, you know, yeah, like when yeah. they were babies. Yeah, so, yeah. but you know, they're becoming women, and so yeah. you know, it's uh, yeah, you just want to make sure that they feel absolutely comfortable with you and you don't put them in any position that uh, they, they can misconstrue. Absolutely. Like I grew up in a house. My father is a very, very gentle, gentle man, you know, who and and my brothers are very gentle kind of souls. And my father <laughs> says to my sister and I, I said it a few times, he's like, I don't understand you two. Like why are you so, like we're such like, um, we're such big feminists to the point we're always making jokes about men and always kind of like, you know, rolling our eyes and making like, oh, you know, like, right. And he's like, I don't understand it. Like, where does this come from? Why? Like you, you didn't have to, you know, like where's it? And where it comes from is that I feel like I grew up in this very safe environment with these very safe men around me and didn't realise that in the world things were different do you know what I mean that some yeah. could be slightly dodgy and some could make me feel uncomfortable about certain things I was really lucky though and I know this sounds ridiculous because it doesn't it doesn't mean that people like people it doesn't matter what you look like as a person as a woman you get sexually harassed somehow you know but I mainly avoided it because I was incredibly like like I said as I was growing up like I was like quite fat and quite pimply and quite unattractive. Like I didn't get remotely um, sort of normal looking until I was about, I don't know, 28, 27 or 28, and that really helped me. Like I know that's a really, like I to avoid a lot of that stuff because I don't mean to generalise, but men can be quite superficial, you know, so I was kind of left out. And, but on the flip side, I can remember reading stuff like, um, you know, Helen Garner saying, 
and I still feel like this a bit, which I hate because I think it's internalised misogyny, is I'll read old women um, writing about how they're invisible, you know, oh, I'm suddenly invisible and, you know, because I'm not sexually, you know, in the thing. And I think, fuck yes, at least you were visible at one stage. I've always felt like I was invisible to men. Right. And, and I kind of, um, I kind of, like, I think I used to think how wonderful would it be to be a beautiful person, you know, to get all the attention from men because it's such a, you know, it's such a currency. Yeah. But my friend, my neuroscientist friend really taught me that it doesn't matter where you are in the spectrum of women, whether you're feeling left out of it and, and less than because of it, or if you're being not taken, like I've never not been taken seriously. You know what I mean? Like right. I've never had that issue that she's had. Somebody, nobody's ever sort of doubted my intelligence or my ability to do something because of the way I look. Whereas, um, you know, it's just showing me on that spectrum. Of, I don't even know how we've got to this, but yeah, basically I feel like my sort of strident feminism comes from a place of growing up with really lovely men and being quite surprised out in the world that things could be different. Yeah, that, that is the a very interesting lesson to learn from uh, your inadvertently from uh, your upbringing. Like yeah. I, you know, like because I was raised a certain way with my mum, then yeah. things would happen in the real world and be like, what, what yeah. is happening? Yeah. Is it, sorry. And then and then you realise, um, no, 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 you're the weirdo compared to the rest <laughs> of the, the world because yeah. the rest of the world just kind of carries on yeah, get it. in this way. Yeah. You know, yeah. Like, like for mum and I, uh, I, I had to try to explain to mum, this is a kind of different thing, but she just couldn't understand why people in lockdown were freaking out. And right. I and because and she, you know, she was in deep lockdown for a long time because of her uh, autoimmune system, right. and uh, I was in lockdown because I lived by myself, yeah. and we were fine. Yeah, and she used just to it. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah, it's no problem. And she couldn't understand, and I had to yeah. explain to her. You know, we're the, we're the weirdos, <laughs> and she and she just could not comprehend <laughs> that uh, we were the strange ones. Yeah, yeah. It's sort of it's weird, isn't it? The what how your upbringing informs all these different things. Yeah. But yeah, it's a it's so there's there's all of these kinds of things I think at play in this play, you know, like because yeah. it's a very complicated thing. All this stuff's very complicated because ultimately, like, we are all just human beings trying to walk our dog every day, you know, and having right. a, we all just want a nice life, don't we? Like an yeah. easy life and a nice life and. And to be loved and connected to people, you know. So it's sort of, yeah, it's it's just, it's a funny, yeah, so that's what I've tried to explore in it. I don't know if I'll be successful. We'll see. We'll yeah. see in a few weeks. Yeah, and the grades of mistakes that people make, you know, there's upper echelon mistakes that you can't come back from. Yep. And, and then there's, there's yeah. just, you know, poor choices in, in a moment through whatever reason, you yeah. know. And also, like, time changes things as well and kind of like, you know, for the producer in this that makes all the phone calls sending the girls mm. to Channel 9, mm. she doesn't for a second until it's pointed out to her think that there's any, like, she thinks who wouldn't be, you know, who wouldn't be happy by that? Like, if, there's a there's a bit in the play where she talks about, you know, if you turn on Q&A, if you open The Guardian, if you, like, our girls are actually everywhere. Like, I've set yeah. them up with those jobs that mean that they're, you know, the imaginary equivalent to Lee Sales or someone yeah, like that, yeah. you know? So, and who's going to complain about that? Because, right. so anyway, we'll just see. I don't know if it's going to work. I hope it works, Justin. 
Oh, it sounds great. It sounds uh, delightfully grey, and I think that's what uh, makes it really interesting, but also leaves plenty of room for comedy as well because it is so grey. Yeah, and also radio is full of funny, like it's, you know, it's a funny world and the media is a funny world and there's plenty to riff on in that. And also, like, I find I find bureaucrats very funny. There's a bureaucrat in yeah. it. You know, bureaucrats and particularly public radio bureaucrats, like, yeah. I mean, I just I just find them so funny. So there's lots to poke fun at. Well, not poke fun. Like sometimes I worried, I worried, um, you know, a few incarnations ago that it was a little bit too satirical rather than mm. actually because um, I'm not a satire writer mm. and I don't want, I, don't, I actually don't want to create satire. I want to create things that like touch people, um their hearts and their souls rather than than sort of make rather than their brains. I want their brains mm. to be engaged, obviously, but mm. you know the way satire, I always find satire, um, like I heard this David um Williamson said this great thing about his work once that he's not mean enough to be a satirist and he's not kind enough to be a what was it and he's not kind enough to be a um I can't remember, it was along those lines, you know, like he's not so his his work sort of hovered in between. In between, both. yeah. Yeah. Whereas I think I am kind enough to be whatever that other thing was. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah. I think uh, uh, my heart is is still open enough to not sit in satire. Anyway, yeah. I, I shouldn't say I've got friends who are satirists. I shouldn't be like I don't. They've got hearts too. I don't know what I'm saying. You know. No, no, no. I know what you mean. Like there, there's in in a lot of satire, uh, it's uh, it, it connects intellectually, but there can be. It can be a bit cold because yes. of the the sharpness the of what it's yeah. digging into. Exactly. So, yeah, yeah uh, I know exactly Sorry what you mean. Well, so uh, where can people see the play? Uh, what dates? And okay. uh, well, we we go into previews um, from January the twenty sixth, mm-hmm. and we play through until March the fifth. Big run. We yeah. open officially on February the 1st. So I think most of those previews are pretty banged out. Yeah. So if, um, and also, like, previews, we're still figuring things out, you know, like there'll be stops and starts even sometimes in a preview. So go yeah. and see it after February the 1st when it's opened and ready to roll. Yeah, that sounds great. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. I'm seeing it on the 2nd of February. Uh, after you right. said don't go to the previews and uh, <laughs> and uh, we'll we'll have to get you back on uh, to talk about uh, the movie the Appleton <gasps> Ladies Potato Race because we barely touched on it and um yeah. we can maybe maybe we can do our top 5 uh, we'll 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 swap a list our top 5 Australian films and oh, see if we I have any crossover that. yeah i love that thank you Justin. i love your podcast so i would love any time any time yeah. All right, we'll get you back on uh, ASAP. We'll, uh, maybe after the play finishes its run and we can also see what your thoughts are on yeah. uh, what worked, where it landed, what the reaction was, you mm. know, and go from there. So scary. No, I know. That means uh, you're present. That's a good thing. Yeah. Right. Well, thank you, Justin. Thanks for having no worries. me. No worries. Oh, where can people find you as well on social media? Oh, so I'm on Twitter just at Melanie Tate is probably the best way um, to find me. Yeah. And, yeah, I'm very easily found. Yeah. Very, yeah, very easily found. But, yeah, Twitter at Melanie Tate, T-A-I-T. Great. Thank you. Thanks, Justin.
a big thank you to Melanie for being my guest today. If you're in Sydney and would like to check out her play, A Broadcast Coup, head to ensemble.com.au for all the details. I'll be back on Thursday with a brand new Space Podacy episode. Join Ben Elwood and me. Yes, Benno is back. I don't know why I've called him Benno. I've never called him Benno in my life. I think he would hate Benno. But anyway, Benno and I are back. (laughs) And we are taking a trip to Mars with Arnie for our Total Recall episode. Yes, we are discussing Total Recall and I have some firm views that I reckon might get some of you upset. Like sometimes when Ben and I record, we're in the moment. It's like we're just having a one-on-one chat. And then weeks later, I think, I wonder how that's going to go down. Anyway, you'll find out on Thursday and you can let me know then. Adelaide friends, remember to use the promo code PODCAST when purchasing tickets to my show at the Adelaide Fringe. I'm only there for five nights. That's right, the show Little Victories will be appearing for five nights only, beginning on the 28th of February. And if you would like to come along, head to bigsquidpod.com and just head to the gigs page and you can find out all the details. And just remember to use that promo code. That is my gift to you for being a loyal listener of what we do here at Big Squid. Uh, Patreon subscribers, keep an eye out for some news coming your way as well. I have an announcement that I'll be making soon about something that will be coming up just for you. So keep an eye out for that. If uh, you would like to be across all of the stuff that goes on at the Patreon site, head to patreon.com forward slash Justin Hamilton. You can find a tier that suits you and that will give you access to uh, Patreon-only podcasts, scripts, uh, super-duper discounts to live events and a whole lot more. Okay, I thought we would travel all the way back to the 1500s today for our quote to finish off this podcast. This is from dramatist Robert Green, and unfortunately it kind of feels quite relevant still after all these centuries. Green wrote, the world is full of people with different characters and temperaments. We all have a dark side, a tendency to manipulate and aggressive desires. The most dangerous types are those who repress their desires or deny the existence of them after acting them out in the most underhanded ways. Speak to you again on Thursday. Until then. Extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for fifty to eighty percent less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at fifty dollars, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.